Okay, welcome Wednesday Night Bible Study, Epistle to the Romans, Part 4. Let's <coughs> begin a word of prayer. Lord God, we just thank you again for this time of study. Lord, we thank you that, uh, Holy Spirit, you guide us into the Scriptures tonight to give us uh, application. Not just knowledge, but application. Uh, what this means to us corporately as a body of Christ and individually as believers. And so, Father, I just thank you for those who are here, those that are on the way, those who could make it, those who are listening by podcast. Lord, we just thank you that uh, your word does not return void. So in all of this, we just give you praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, the Apostle Paul has been making a case to the Romans about why Jews and Gentiles are now one in Christ. And uh, that there should be no division no separation. And basically he's having to explain Judaism and Jews to the Romans who really don't know much about Judaism or the Old Testament or any of that. So that's why Romans is so um, theologically strong because it says so much about uh, what the church is, what it should be, and uh, uh, how to become the church. So Tonight we're going to be talking about faith, because last week we talked about, you know, we are justified by faith. We believe God. That's faith. And so now he's he's going into, after talking about it in chapter 3, now he's going to go into the Old Testament and draw faith and how faith operated in the Old Testament and how that same faith operates today. So, in Romans chapter 4, Verse 1 to 3, it says, What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now, Abraham is known as the father of faith. Abraham is the one, and his story begins in Genesis chapter 12, uh, you know, verses 1 to 3. You don't have to turn to it, but you can reference it later, where God calls him and says, leave your family and go to the land that I'm showing you, a land flowing with milk and honey. And this is the land of Canaan, which eventually becomes the land of Israel. And uh, Abraham followed God as I said last week, I think that Abraham, where he lived in the land of Ur, which is U-R, that's the name of the land, U-R, they didn't have the idea, the concept of one God. They had multiple gods. They had the fire God, the sun God, the moon God, all everything they couldn't understand was a God. And Abraham's father made idols to the fire God. And uh, as scripture says, you know, all the idols are mute. They don't speak. And so when God spoke to Abraham, this was the first time a deity or something that they referred to as a God actually spoke. And so he follows God because God spoke to him the same way God speaks to us through his word. We follow God because God speaks to us. That's the revelation of the Bible. God is actually speaking to us. So Abraham is important because he becomes the father of faith and he goes on this journey uh, knowing who God is, following God and, and 
Uh, you know, he messes up a few times, but eventually he gets to that place that he becomes known as the father of faith. And you make the case that he's either the first Jew or his son Isaac is the first Jew. Because it's through through Abraham and Isaac onto Jacob and Joseph that the Jewish lineage now takes place. But what's going to happen in chapter 4 is Paul, the Apostle Paul, is showing us how not only are Jews part of that lineage of Abraham, but also Gentiles through Christ were brought into that. That's what it means to be grafted in to the vine. So, uh, verse 4 to 12. It says, Now, to the one who works, his wage is not reckoned as a favor, but what he is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessings upon the man of whom God reckons righteous apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Verse 9. Is this blessing then upon circumcised or upon uncircumcised also, meaning Jews or non-Jews? For we say, faith was reckoned to Abraham as righteousness. And then it was, how then was it reckoned? In other words, reckoned means given. Uh, So while he was circumcised or uncircumcised, not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith. Well, he had while uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised. That righteousness might be reckoned to him. And the father of circumcision to those who not only are the circumcision, but who also follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had while he was uncircumcised. Now when you read that, it sounds like he's going in circles, just circumcised, uncircumcised, you know, all the other stuff. But basically what he's talking about is that, you know, the mark from the time of Moses uh, of Jews, you know, it had to do with, you know, the circumcision and all that stuff. Well, this Abraham is before that. And so he's saying, Abraham is the father of faith. And it was before all of those laws that have to do with circumcision and, and, and Jewish nature and all that stuff. It was before that. And so what he's saying is that Gentiles who are not circumcised can now be also a part of that which those that were circumcised, the Jewish, are a part of. Because Abraham, Abraham was not circumcised when God called him. And so it's it's just showing because sometimes the argument could be, and the argument was, especially when in Galatians, that some of the Jews were saying, well, you're going to have to become a Jew before you become a Christian. And then Paul argues and says, no, you did not receive Christ that way. You received Christ through faith, believing what God has said. And so this is what Paul is saying here. It's kind of wordy, but he's basically saying our faith in God, our faith in Christ brings us now into everything that God has said, everything that God has done, going back to Abraham, going back to uh, creation. Uh, and this is where the blessings start, by the way, in Genesis 12. 
you know, I will bless those that bless you. I will curse those that curse you. Through you, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So in other words, you know, we're a part of that. We're, we're brought into that. Genesis 12, 1 to 3. That's part of who we are. So God says, I will bless those that bless you. I will curse those that curse you. But we're also called to be a blessing to others. Right? And so uh, so he's just making a case here that Abraham, you know, he he wasn't a Jew. Uh, he, he followed God. God worked with him. And uh, God showed him. He was the one who becomes the father of faith. So even to, to Jews today, they look at Abraham as he's the father of our faith. Okay? So Paul is just making the uh, point here that we are grafted into that. We are all part of that, whether you're Jew or Gentile. Okay? Make sense? Kind of where that's at. Okay. Now verse 13 and 15. For the promise to Abraham, now the promise to Abraham is Genesis 12, verse 1 to 3. I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. For the promise to Abraham, or to his descendants, in other words, anybody after him, that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if there, for if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void, void, and the promise is nullified. For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, neither is there a violation. Now, the law, which was given to Moses on Mount Sinai, basically shows us how we're sinners. We can't we can't reach God's level, God's standard, and it also it's the moral code and, and things like that. But what he's saying here again is that Abraham was the promises that were given to Abraham were before the law was given. So he's not accountable to the law. And and uh, because the law had not been given. Abraham is way before Moses. So the point again here is that Abraham did everything by faith. He trusted God. And the point for us is we do everything by faith. We trust God. And we're brought into that. And so as Abraham trusted God, believed God, and God strengthened him, took care of him, and made these promises to him, we are now grafted into those promises the same way. We believe God for what God has said. And uh, uh, so sometimes people would think, oh, like going back to the story of Cain and Abel, you know, where one brother kills another and, and God allows him to live. And the people will say, well, he couldn't do that because the law says he should be punished by death. The problem with that was the law wasn't given yet, so he's not bound by that. So you have to know the the, the, the timeline. It's like what they said. I left this up here from um, children's uh, uh, Sunday school. This is the Bible must be understood. It is our duty to understand the Bible. There is danger in misunderstanding. And so misunderstanding the timeline and what's given because you can try and uh, interpret things not in the context in which they're given. You have to interpret them in the context in which they were they were given. So it's not a contradiction when one brother kills another and God lets him off the hook. You know, and you say, oh, no, over here God says, you know, death is required for that. No, that was before the law. So same thing here with Abraham. He's before the law. 
Okay. Verse 16. It says, For this reason it is by faith. It is by faith. We are justified by faith. Righteousness is given to us through Christ by faith. In other words, believing in what God has done and what Christ has done. It says, For this reason it is by faith that it might be in accordance with grace in order that the promise may be certain to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So again here he's saying, for this reason it is by faith that it might be in accordance with grace. Remember last week, I think it was, we were talking about Martin Luther's solas, grace alone, faith alone. So what happens is, if I can diagram this real quick, is that God is extending grace to us. Grace is God's unmerited favor. And what we are doing, we are extending faith. And that's where we meet God. Right there. That's why it's God's grace alone, God's favor to us, and us by believing, that's where we meet God. And it says that's the cross. Right there. So that's why when Luther says it's grace alone, it's faith alone, according to the scriptures alone, what the scriptures have said, according to Christ alone, the work that Christ has done, and therefore glory to God alone. So we extend faith, God is <coughs> extending grace, and it meets, and that's our justification. That's how we're saved. Grace and faith. Right there. And so he goes on to say, for this reason is by faith that it might be in accordance with grace in order that the promise, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 to 2, 1 to 3, may be certain to all of the descendants. Now, all of the descendants. Who are the descendants? In other words, we're talking about the heirs of the promise, right? Not only to those who are of the law, in other words, meaning the Jews, right? They were given the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who were not under the law, who weren't practicing Jews, who is the father of us all. So therefore he's saying whether you're a Jew or Gentile, again, uh, if you extend faith, God's grace meets that. Okay? Thoughts, questions on that? Does that make sense? Yeah? No? Yeah? Yeah? Okay. Uh, let's see here. Verse 17. By the way, that's that's theology. That's basic theology right there. That's why I say I always do theology because who is God and what is God doing and what and where am I in relationship to what God is doing? So in other words, who is God? The only one that is able to save us, the only one who is able to extend grace. And what he's saying is if you believe, now this is my part, according to what God is doing, the result is salvation. So who is God, what is he doing, and where am I in relationship to what he's doing? That's theology. Verse 17. As it is written, a father of many nations I have made you in the sight of him 
whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Uh, That's a doctrine statement, by the way. God calls it into existence. Let there be light. Boom. God does it. Gives life to the dead, meaning through salvation, right? Because we're dead in our sin, but through Christ, our extending faith to God's grace, meeting at the cross, we now have life. So um, God calls it into existence. In other words, it's God's plan. And this is where, uh, as Christians, we have to understand that we were born into the world, we're not of the world, and we now have to come out of the world and the world's logic to understand what God is doing and now apply our lives to what God is doing. So in other words, it changes our worldview of what God is doing. That's that's part of the conversion. It changes our, our worldview. Because again, the... the the secular view of life is a circle. It's basically what goes around, comes around. You know, the seasons, life is just a circle. Here, it's just a continuing pattern where the biblical worldview is a straight line. There's a definite beginning and there's a definite end. In other words, God's calling us at the cross into our future, which is life, here, while the world is just just going around, is going around. This is where the ideas of reincarnation and all this other stuff come from. It just goes around, goes around, goes around. That's that's, that's a world's view. That's why... uh, for some people, it's hard to understand this because they grew up with this picture here. So we have to take them out of that picture into this picture. God called it into existence, and God called everything there, even the, the end. So he's calling us into that. So we have to... Uh, the problem comes when people now try and incorporate, and this is what's going on in the church today a lot, is the worldview is trying to creep into the into the biblical view and trying to make us conform to that. We have to stay steadfast and follow what God is saying, what God is doing. So, verse 18 to 22. He's going to go into a little bit about Abraham's history. Uh, verse 18. He says, in hope against hope, he believed in order that he might become a father of many nations, according to that which had been spoken. So shall your descendants be. And without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Sarah was uh, 90. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what he had promised he was able to perform. Therefore, it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now, we know this is a simplification of the story, but you know, Abraham's story, 
he didn't believe God right away for everything. He, you know, he messed up a few times and, and, and tried to work it out his own way. But eventually he got to that place to believe God. And barrenness, see, sometimes you wonder, okay, why did, why did he wait till Moses, I mean, until Abram was, was, was 100 years old and Sarah was 90 years old, so that you would know they were both far past reproductive, so barren. So God calls all things into existence, as we just read. So it is God who's calling that child Isaac into existence. See, God, God creates out of nothing. He doesn't need anything to create. And so barrenness in the Bible is a, is a theme. Uh, God shows in the midst of that barrenness, you know, uh, uh, it's, it's like a story of, uh, of, uh, uh, of Samuel. You know, his, his mother was the same thing. She was barren. And they were making fun of her because she couldn't, she couldn't have a child. And yada, yada. Well, out of that barrenness, she bore a child and became Samuel, who became the last of the judges, the first of the prophets. So again, born out of barrenness. Uh, uh, they call it ex nihilo, out of nothing. God doesn't need anything to bring anything into existence. So again, that's theology, right? The world's view is you need something already in existence to make something else happen. That's why it's this. And God is, boom, I call it into existence. Call it into being. The world's view is you got to have something already going on for it to exist. You can't you can't plant a tree if you don't have the the grass and the nutrients. And the only reason you have it is because there were other trees and other plants that died years ago and put nutrients in there. And it's just they don't allow for God created it. It's, it's just always always that. Again, that's the world view. So it says hope against hope. It's like, you know, it doesn't make sense that God would do this. There's no logic here. There's no natural logic. And so again, God stands outside of creation, so he doesn't need human logic to verify what he's doing. He does things against human's logic to verify who he is. Virgin birth. We can't do it. Burning bush. We can't do it. You know, it's not consumed. And so God stands outside of that. So Abraham had to look at his condition and his wife's condition. And he had to overcome the barrenness. He had to overcome the age. He had to overcome, uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of different things there. As it says here, without becoming weak, meaning... To hold on to that faith. So it's like us. You know, a lot of times our faith, we have to overcome a lot of things sometimes to hold on to our faith. And our faith grows. You know, in James it says, if any of you lacks faith, ask God and he'll give you more. In other words, he'll show you and give you reasons to extend faith in who he is. And so uh, that's the story of Abraham, that Abraham on his journey is gaining faith by his encounter with God. Because, as I said last week, that when Abraham gets to that point that he has his son Isaac, and then God now calls him to sacrifice Isaac, and he goes up there and he builds an altar, 
and he puts Isaac on the altar and he's going to sacrifice Isaac and you, you stop and you think, wait a minute, how can he do this? You have to understand Abraham, now the father of faith, knows that God called this child into existence out of nothing and said through this child will be all the promises. So God believed, so Abraham believed the promises of God to the point that he knew that no matter what he was going to do, God was going to still raise that child up because the promise was through the child. You know? So it was a demonstration of his faith. So sometimes when people say, if you just hear that little story, you go, what kind of God is this? But when you put the whole package together, what he's doing and what God is, you know, he's showing and, and, and understand Abraham's journey to faith. And then we begin to look at, OK, what's our journey to faith? We're all growing in faith. We should all be moving forward in faith. So growing strong in faith. He says he gave glory to God. And yeah, you know, the stronger you are in faith, the easier it is to give glory to God because you understand that God is the one who's in control. It's God's plan and you're just following God's plan. We don't have to worry, you know. And then it says there, he was fully assured. And I love this passage because I remember when I was in, in seminary, my favorite theology professor, I took a three theology classes with him that I had to and I went back and I audited two others just because I wanted to hear the guy speak <laughs> he said about this thing about I remember very clearly talking about being fully assured and when he says you can never have absolute certainty but you can be fully assured and then he broke it down he says when it comes to the scriptures, when it comes to God, my faith is based upon being fully assured, not absolute certainty, because absolute certainty, I have to be in heaven. Right? So we're fully assured. How do you get to being fully assured? That's your faith growing in seeing God, knowing what God is doing, following God. It gets us to that place that we're fully assured, but it's not absolute certainty, because absolute certainty... You have to be there. It's like a building that you've never been into. You say, yeah, it's a building, but you don't know what it looks like in the inside. You've never been in there. But you're fully persuaded it's a building. <laughs> but what kind of a building, you don't know. You haven't been in there. So he says he's fully assured. So Abraham on this journey. Thoughts, questions? We good? Verse 23. 23 to 25. Now, not for the sake only was it written that it was reckoned unto him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be reckoned as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He who, he who was delivered up because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. See, we apply the same faith to Christ, being fully persuaded uh, in what God was able to do and what God can do, we are fully persuaded. Uh, so it says, verse 23, now not for his sake, not, see this just isn't for Abraham only, was it written 
and reckon to him as faith. Verse 24, but for our sake also. So Abraham's story is not just for Abraham. It's for all of us. Because we're all brought into that. And later on, Paul in Galatians and uh, in, in Corinthians, he talks about, you know, in, in, in Colossians, how, you know, we're grafted into the vine. And what he means is we're grafted into the faith of Abraham. We're grafted into what God has been, been doing. And by the way, uh, Genesis chapter 12 to today, you can pretty much track time, uh, you know, years. It's about 4,000 years, a little, little more. From Genesis chapter 1 through chapter 11, there's no time marker, so we don't know how long that time frame was. But from Genesis chapter 12 forward, this is recorded history of the Jewish people, uh, you know, up through Christ. Then no people have an older recorded history. So this is the oldest recorded history. Uh, so that says something about God right there. Scripture alone. So God spoke, Abraham followed. For us, it should be the same thing. God speaks, we should follow. Okay. Thoughts, questions before I go to chapter 12? I mean, chapter, I think it's chapter 12. Chapter 5. Chapter 5 of Romans, verse 1 to 2. Therefore, so in other words, he says, now that I said that, now I'm going to say this. Therefore, having been justified by our faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exalt in the hope of the glory of God. Just like Abraham hoped and extended faith and believed in the promises of God and it came through, we do the same thing. Right? It's basically what this is saying here. And that faith brings peace. Because it's the same peace that Abraham had when he put Isaac on that altar. God was, he wasn't going to die. God had to do, was going to do something to make sure he stayed alive because the promises were through him. And so we believe the same way that when we extend that faith into God's grace, all of God's promises are going to come true. See, we stand at the most advantageous time in history. Because we have the completed Bible. We have all that history. We have all that uh, archaeological evidence. We have all of all of the history of it. We have the history of Christianity and, and the things that went before. We have all these markers. We have all of this stuff that people have tried to poke holes in. And it just grows stronger and stronger. Uh, so it should add to our, our faith. Uh, the amount of faith that we have. That's why it's important to do this, to understand, so that we don't misunderstand. Because when you understand, then it just becomes much, much easier to extend faith. Uh, so I put down in there, in your deal, I kind of chased a rabbit here on this. It says, faith is our introduction to grace, the kingdom of God. And basically the story in the Bible there is creation, and then it's faith, that's Abraham. Then it's covenant, you know, the idea that God says, you know, I'm going to do this, and this is what I require of you. 
Uh, it's a story of deliverance. This is Moses. But it's also the story of Christ, right? De- deliverance. It's a story of law, God's standard, which shows us that we are sinners. We can't measure up to that. Then it's a story of priesthood. You know, uh, you know, the New Testament in, in, it says in First Peter and it says in, in Revelation, you know, that we are to be a kingdom of priests. That's who we are. As we enter the kingdom, priests do what? They minister before God. That's what we are supposed to be. And it's also a story of monarchy, kingship. You know, the, the tragedy of the Old Testament is that they wanted a king when they already had one. They just didn't acknowledge it. And the king was God. They wanted to be like all the other nations. And so God says, okay, I'll, I'll give you a king. You want a king? I'll give you a king. Gave him Saul. Didn't work out so good. You know? And, you know, and then the the kingship, when you read all those stories of all the the different kings in there, you know, for the most part, they all messed up at some point or another. A couple of them, you know, restored things. But it's it's not a good story because, it, you know, you know, it only lasts good for a little while and the people fall back into sin and they start messing up. And then maybe 200 years later, they get a good king for a little while and then he dies off. And then and then the people, that's why the prophets had to come and tell them, if my people would only humble themselves and pray, God would restore the land to them because they just kept messing up and messing up. And so, you know, they really missed the fact that their king was God. And so now when Christ comes, you know, we have that revelation that not only is he Lord, not only is he our high priest, but he's our king, right? Kingship. Uh, and then Messiah, you know, salvation. And then there's a revelation, uh, New Testament of the church. So in a sense right there, those nine little things are kind of the little capsules of what God is showing along the way. That's kind of some of the different themes that are in the Bible where God is revealing himself in his plan. So, any thoughts or questions there? We good? Okay. Chapter 5, verse 3 to 5. And then he says, not only this, now this passage gets quoted a lot sometimes in church service, but notice the context. It says, not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulations brings about perseverance. Perseverance, proven character, proven character, hope. Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Again, it says, not only this, but we exalt in our in our tribulations, knowing that tribulations bring about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope, and that hope does not disappoint. You know, a couple of weeks ago, and I think even last Sunday, we were talking about heart shaping, how God shapes our heart, and how we go through things. You know, this is heart shaping. This is, you know, how God is working with us. And that's why he's looking at our heart for change as we go through these things. Because just think about Abraham. He was given a promise, and right away uh, he starts encountering problem after problem. But he still has all the promises. So he's got to endure through those problems and trust God and maintain his faith and then realize that even though he messed up, 
God wasn't going to reject him because God was showing him something. So with us, when we mess up, this is the beauty of grace and this is the beauty of, of, of our sins being forgiven. We can confess those sins to God, but we can continue to grow in faith. Uh, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts. The love of God. So in other words, we become more, in a sense, like God, receiving God's love where? In our heart. Because how do we operate? Out of our heart. Our compassion. God so loved the world, that's God's compassion for us. His mercy is is is, is demonstrated to us that way. It's, it's heart-shaping. So I say we are a work of heart. Verse 6 to 8. For while we were still helpless, uh, number one, without God we are helpless. That's your little blank space there. Without God we're helpless. Uh, for while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Um, again, that's that's a doctrine statement. Christ died for our, our sins. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, it's... it's Christ didn't die after we repent. He died before we repent. Big difference. Without Christ, we are helpless. And God so loved the world, he saw us in our helpless condition, our fallen condition. And uh, uh, he sent Christ, he sent himself to die for us, pay the price for our sins. So we're reconciled to God, and you know, which means we're not destined for the wrath of God. Which is, you know, when you go to the book of Revelation, a lot of times people wonder... And we talk about, you know, when does the church, when is the church raptured during that time in the beginning, the middle, the end? Well, the answer to the question is, well, we're not destined for the wrath of God. So somewhere before the wrath of God is poured out, and by the way, that's the bold judgments in Revelation. It's poured out. Uh, The church is gone. We're not destined for God's wrath. So when that is, it's up for speculation. It's not important. The important part is we're not destined for the wrath of God. 12 to 14. Therefore, just as though one man sin entered into the world, this is Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. In other words, this is called the doctrine of original sin. First man sinned, and therefore, that created the sin nature in all of humanity. So we are all, as it says in Jeremiah, we are all born into sin. Right? We are all born into sin. Uh, verse 13. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. So in other words, the law is the one that shows us that we're sinners. Without the law, we wouldn't understand sin. It's like it's it's like a it's like a speeding sign. If there were no speeding signs, we would just go any speed we wanted to go, uh, and there would be no fine. But once the speed sign comes up, now we know 
there'll be a fine if someone catches you, the right person catches you going past that speed limit. So that's what the law is. The law now puts brakes on our uncontrolled sin. It says, this is what you're doing, this is the standard, and uh, uh, you cannot measure up to the standard. This is why you need salvation through Christ. So verse 12 again, 12 and 14. I'm going to close with this. It says, therefore, just as though one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Imputed means assigned or accredited to. Okay. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, which means Moses is the one who went up and got the law, right? Um, even though those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is the type of him who was to come, types and shadows. It's like what I was saying earlier, that up until the law, there wasn't that standard that was the people were going to be judged by because the law had not been given yet. But once the law was given, now we have the standard uh, that we are judged by. So when Christ comes back, he's not going to judge us according to his whims or whatever he wants. He's going to judge us according to the law, just as any legal, uh, if we broke a law, we would go before the judge and the judge says, this is what the law is. This is what you did. Therefore, you're in violation of the law. And here's a penalty. If you're a good judge, that's what you do. If you're a bad judge, you let somebody off the hook. But that's why it says Christ is our righteous judge. He is a good judge. So he will hold us accountable to the law. So that's why when people think, well, God's going to let me off the hook because of this and that, because God is love and that's a... No, that's a bad judge. God is a good judge. And if God is a bad judge and you accept that, that God is a bad judge, now what are you saying about God as a whole? You know, that 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 messes everything up about about who God is, because now God's not such a likable person anymore, because a, a likable person is someone that you know, someone that you respect. You know what the standard is. You know, you know what you're going to get from them. They don't deviate. They don't turn their back on you. They don't change. They don't, you know, mm-hmm. if God lets you off the hook, now God is changing and so that means, uh, are the promises and the blessings not there anymore either? So that's the problem with that. So when God says, I'm the same yesterday and today and forever, that's part of that standard that in, in theology, understanding who God is. That God's not going to change. He's not because it's you or me that he's going to change his judgment. And so that's what someone that's not saved or someone that's coming out of this environment here uh, of the circle and they don't really understand God, oh God, God's going to let me off because of this God's going to let me off because he's love or you know I didn't kill anybody or I didn't this and I didn't yada you know that's like going before the judge and saying well I didn't I didn't mean to kill him I just went and got the gun I really wasn't going to shoot him and I was just trying to scare him and the judge says yeah but the gun went off and you shot him and now they're dead, and we call that murder. Guilty. 
you know, a bad judge lets you off. It can be bought. God can't be bought. So I'm stop right there. Pick it up next week from there. So again, you know, Paul's just making a strong case to to Gentiles of who God is, how we're brought into faith, how the church age now is now compatible and works with the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible and what God has already done. So, again, sometimes some people would teach, and it's wrong, that this is the Old Testament period, and then it ended, and then the cross came, and then now the church started over here. The correct theology is, again, the straight line, and the cross came, and what God did from let there be light all the way through the Old Testament, and all of that now is in the New Testament, and this is now the church. It's just an outgrowth of what God already established. Because this doesn't make any sense if God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And some people will say, well, I'm a, I'm a New Testament Christian in the Old Testament. Or they'll say that the Jews were cut off. They're yada, yada, this, mm, where? And then sometimes they'll try and connect this way. No, you have to connect this way. Straight up that way. This is, this is the Tower of Pisa. That's going to fall and collapse. You know, it's it's through here. And uh, that's what he's saying. He's saying whether you're Jew or Gentile, it all comes through let there be light and everything that God has said all the way to the end of the age. Make sense? Yeah. Okay, let's pray. Lord God, we just, again, give you thanks and praise and Lord, we thank you that you open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our heart to receive what you have for us, Lord, that our desire is to understand you, God, and to understand what your plan is, what your will is for our lives, what you are doing, Lord. But also, just as important, Lord, that where are we in accordance with what you're saying? Where are we in what you're doing? Where are we in the in the, in the plan? In this world that we live in today, Lord, Where what is the role of the church? What is our role? Where are we to fit in? What are we to do? How are we to do it? How can we give you glory and praise and honor? How can we expand the kingdom, Lord, in all of this, Lord? We do not want to sit back and whine and cry and complain, Lord, but we want to move forward uh, and, and follow you in all things. So, Father, we just thank you again that you open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our heart to receive what you have for us. In this, we give you praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless all of you. See you soon. And I uh, hope you're listening to the podcast. And uh, also don't forget to uh, the men's ministry is going to be this coming Thursday, tomorrow. And also there'll be a podcast on that eventually if you miss that. So uh, God bless. See you soon.